Bob, Bob was, and I, I suspect still is, a mechanic working mostly on Mustangs out of his garage. When he went over to the Blazes' home, cars were stacked three, sometimes four deep in the driveway, and every once in a while, stacked up in their yard as well. A grease stained the ridges of his fingerprints, I imagine, for decades, right? Bob's hands, Bob's hands were always dirty. I, I can't remember a time, actually, when Bob's hands weren't like a, a multiple color of grease. You know, Bob was, uh, had hands that obviously, obviously worked, uh, not on a keyboard like my hands work most of the time, but hands that worked on fittings and hoses and bolts and wires and filters and bearings, his hands... Bob's hands were always calloused. And yet, week after week, he would extend those callous, grease-stained hands to timid, shy, and often awkward high schoolers. Week after week, callous, grease-stained hands given in service of the church he so loved willingly offering those same hands in service to a high school youth group. And every summer, those calloused, grease-stained hands would, of course, teach and support and then drive over and over and over again all of these high schoolers around a lake as they learned to water ski. I've often wondered if Bob thought to himself when asked to lead this group of timid, shy, and often awkward high schoolers, I wonder if he thought to himself, like, I'm just a mechanic. <laughs> what, what do I have to offer these high school kids? And yet, to this day, I remember the time that he spent with us those timid, shy, and often awkward high school students. I remember his, his willingness to just be with us, his willingness to cart us around the lake for the 65th time, his willingness to walk with everyday kids every week. And when I think back to Bob, it's not actually any one thing that I remember about him, but a lot of, but a lot of little things. And if Bob thought he had little to offer, God did a lot out of his little. You know, we're in the second week of our preaching series, Influencer, and we're exploring not only the influence that you and I have in the kingdom of God, but also the call to use that influence for the sake of our neighbors. Uh, Pastor Adam mentioned this last week, but being a social media influencer is now a full-time vocation. And interestingly, quite lucrative, actually. Uh, these women and these men who have literally tens of thousands of followers or contacts or friends. Now, I've not really explored what it means to be a social media influencer. Like, I don't know, is there, is there like a, a number of friends that you have to hit 
in order to be an influencer? Like, do you need like 10,000 people who follow you to influence, to be an influencer? Like, this is not gonna shock you. I'm not close, right? I'm not, right? Like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even in the vicinity. I might, I might even be in the same universe, right? That, that is not how it works for me. I'm, I'm not, right? I'm not a Zoella. Does anybody know who Zoella is? British fashion vlogger? Come on, some of you closet fashion vloggers, you can tell me. Some of you are like, I don't even know what fashion vlogging means, right? Zoella, right? She's this vlogger with 11 million subscribers to her YouTube channel. I'm not her. I'm also, I'm also clearly not The Rock, right? Dwayne Johnson and I have similar features, right? Similar features, but not all the features are the same, right? Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he has a meager 190 million followers across all of his social medias. I'm clearly not Selma Gomez, who has 178 million on Instagram alone. Now friends, when I stack up myself against some of these people, it becomes really easy to believe that because I, quote, don't have a following like that, I can't have any kind of influence. But as Pastor Adam said last week, and as Jesus makes so incredibly clear in Luke chapter 10, God already has somebody prepared for me, specifically. And somebody already prepared for you, specifically. There is somebody already ready for your influence. Somebody already ready to hear and to receive the good news of Christ and his kingdom, that freedom and joy and peace and love, friends, that is in our hands as followers of Jesus. God has prepared people of peace, people who are open to our influence. And so, so like it or not, you are an influencer. But I wonder... I wonder how many of us feel a little bit like Bob. Like we have so, so little to offer. When we look at our life or we look at our skills, our finances, our situations, our houses, our friends, we just think like, what is all that? <laughs> how, can, how can these go that far? What can, what can I do with so little? You know, listen, these questions and that reflection perhaps on your old, old life, I think is quite honestly just honest questions. Interestingly, it is the question, it is the question the disciples are asking in this text that we heard Craig read just moments ago. So friends, I want us to dive in this morning to John chapter 6 as we ask this question, what, what will God do? with our little. So you'll want a Bible, hopefully in the Bible that you brought from home or the Bible that we provide for you, but you're going to want to find John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6, and really we'll start at about verse 5 when we get there. John chapter 6, beginning at about verse 5. Now, uh, before we can deal with the text, we must first deal with what? The context, yes. Who said that? Come on. I just, want to, I just want to point out that the kids are teaching the adults today, right? That's exactly right. 
Before we can deal with the text, we must deal with the context. In order to really understand what the text is saying, we have to know what's being said around the text. And so we ask, what's the, what's the particular context of this text? Well, <laughs> unlike, unlike the other three Gospels, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospel of John is not set up chronologically, but rather it's set up to be, a, uh, to be more like a, like a defense argument in a court case. In fact, John, in chapter 20, verse 30, this is what he says. He says, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, these things that I've written down These things are here so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In other words, John is saying, listen, there there are a boatload of things that I could write about, a, a huge amount of stuff that I could tell you about Jesus, but these... These things that I've written here, these things that the Holy Spirit have inspired, these things right here have been laid out on purpose. They are, quote, my argument for believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, some of the Gospel of John is chronological, but the purpose of its structure is to stack up the evidence so that the hearers of John's day and the readers of today will see that Jesus is the Messiah. And so in this case, John John is drawing on the imagery of two different Old Testament narratives. Uh, The first one is from 2 Kings, and the second is from the book of Exodus. Uh, First, 2 Kings. In 2 Kings, the prophet Elisha is approached by a man who has in his possession, get this, he has some loaves of barley bread. And when Elisha tells this man, he says, listen, will you give that bread to the people so that they can be fed? And the man with those barley loaves, he replies, what? Feed a hundred people with just this? Just this little bit of bread. You want me to feed a hundred people with just this little bit of bread? The servant is saying to the prophet Elijah, what good will this little bit do? What good will this little bit do for so many? Now, this is Elisha's response to the man. He says, give it to the people so that they can eat. For this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat, and there will even be some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all, and there was some left over, just as the Lord had promised. Now, what's, what's John doing here? He's making the case, right, the argument. He's making the case that Jesus, Jesus is a great prophet like Elisha who can see God's desire that his people would be fed. But John also wants us to hear echoes of the Exodus story 
That story of God rescuing his people out of the slavery of Egypt. And specifically, out of that story, he wants us to recount the Passover meal when families would gather around a table and enjoy a meal together on that night when God's spirit passed over anybody who had the blood of the lamb on their doorframe. He wants us to recount the Passover. He also wants us to recount the passing of God's people through the waters of the Red Sea. And John wants us to recount the narrative of how God fed his people in the desert with manna, with literally, here it is, bread from heaven. And if you look, if you look at just the headings, just the editor's headings of John chapter 6, you're going to see that Jesus and some people have a meal together. And the next story is Jesus delivering his disciples through a storm and through water to get to the other side. And finally, chapter 6 rounds out by Jesus teaching that he is a better bread that has come down from heaven. See, John wants us to hear echoes not only of 2 Kings, but also of the Exodus. He wants us to get that Jesus, Jesus is seen as a greater Moses, right? A deliverer of God's people who, by the way, Moses would say to God, who am I that you would want to use me? What do I have in my hands? I have so little to offer. But as you know, and I know, God can do a lot out of little. And so here we are, right, in John 6, with Jesus on a hillside with his disciples, noticing a large crowd of people who are coming to see him, coming to listen to him, to receive healing from him. And in a teaching moment for his disciples, he asks this. I love this. Where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? He said this to test them. For he himself knew what he was going to do. So Jesus was both testing and teaching. Now Philip responds, and Philip's response is basically, basically this. Listen, Jesus, like $5,000 won't buy enough bread for all of the people who are gathered here, right? Philip couldn't see beyond the present problem. Andrew on the other hand, offers a different thought. This is verse 9. Andrew says, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Andrew at least recognized that there was something. It was a little bit, but it was something. And he asks the question, what are they for so many? You know, Bob's question, the servant of Elisha's question, Philip, Andrew's question, (laughs) what can be done? with so little. 
I know lots of us look at our lives, our skills and our situations and our houses and our finances, and we think, what can God do with so little? I suspect some of you are saying, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm just a mom. What can God do with so little? Now, you'd think that I was kind of hypothesizing here, but quite honestly, Pastor Adam and I have these conversations ad nauseum. When, When we try to say to God's people, listen, God has prepared for you. People already ready to receive your influence. I hear, Pastor, I'm just a mom. What can God do with so little? Or pastor, I'm just a nurse. What can God do with so little? Pastor, I'm just an accountant. What can God do with so little? Pastor, I'm just a junior in high school. What can God do with so little? Pastor, I'm divorced. What can God do with so little? Pastor, my kids have they've walked out of the faith. What can God do with so little? I wonder, I wonder if that was the question in the heads of passers-by on a late Friday afternoon. Seeing an image before their eyes they had seen day in and day out, any time they would come into Jerusalem. I wonder if it was in the heads of the women who stood watching as Jesus tried to breathe all their hopes and their dreams there on a cross bleeding out. I wonder if they thought to themselves, what can God do with a, with a dying man? with so little. And yet, God makes a lot out of little. That in the death of one man, there is life for the world. God does a lot out of a little. course, you have Philip saying, listen, there's just a boy. He's just got some bread and some fish. And they take that bread and the fish and they give it to Jesus. Jesus instructs everybody to sit down. He takes that bread and that fish. He gives thanks and he distributes to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish, John says. When they had finished and had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, why don't we gather up all of the pieces left over so that nothing is wasted? 
And in verse 13, John says, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over of all those who were eaten. Listen, I don't know if Jesus is trying to make a funny here, but I think he kind of is, right? 12 disciples, 12 baskets. He's saying, hey, hey, don't doubt. In the hands of Jesus, God can do a lot with little. Uh, Probably about five, six years ago, part of my responsibility uh, at the church that I was serving was to uh, recruit adult volunteers who'd want to serve in sixth and seventh and eighth grade confirmation. Now, this probably doesn't surprise you, but that is not high on lots of people's lists. Like, there's not lots of people like, Pastor, you know what really gives me energy? Nothing like spending time with sixth, seventh, and eighth graders in confirmation. Like, it's a hard ask. And we were at this place where we had garnered up enough help except for one. We, we were down one female leader for the girls that were sixth, seventh, and eighth. I felt like I was just at the end of the rope. I remember, I remember, of course, just praying and thinking like, okay, Jesus, like, what are we going to do? And in an interesting turn of events, the name Janet Ragsdale showed up in my heart and in my head. Now, Janet, Janet is 82 years old, or was then, 82, single, never married. So, by God's grace, I was like, Janet, listen. I don't know what you're doing on a Sunday morning, but, but, but boy, do I have something for you. I would love for you to be a small group leader of sixth, seventh, and eighth grade girls. What do you think? And Janet's response to me was like, well, uh, Pastor, I'm old. And they're not. What could God do with so little? Well, by God's grace, Janet became a small group leader for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade girls. And she may not have had a lot in her hands, but she would write handwritten cards to each of her girls once a month and on their birthdays. Just cards that they got in the mail that said, hey, just thinking about you today. Small things. But again, what could God do of so little? I remember one particular time we were doing a series on what God believes about sex. And Janet came very quickly to my office when I sent her the materials. She's like, Pastor, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> to which I kind of thought, like, you probably know more than you're saying, but, but whatever. So imagine for a moment that Sunday when 82-year-old Janet Ragsdale and 6th, 7th, and 8th grade girls are all talking about God's plan for sex. Like their eyes were as big as their heads, every single one of them. What can God do with so little? About two years after I came to Holy Cross, I I got a text from my former senior pastor, Ken. And he said, "Uh, Brian, just thought I'd let you know, but Janet had a pretty massive stroke. 
I don't know what her prognosis is on the other side of that. I remember just texting back saying like, hey, thanks for letting me know. You know, we'll, we'll certainly be praying on this end. And Ken's response to me was, I also want you to know that every sixth, seventh, and eighth grade girl that she taught has been to the hospital to visit her. God can do a lot out of a little. Some of you are saying, I'm just a mom, just a nurse, just an accountant, just a junior in high school, just a divorcee, just a parent trying to usher the kids back into faith. What can God do with so little? A lot. Our goal is not to get it right every single time, but it's to faithfully entrust into the hands of Jesus our gifts and our skills and our character and our situations and our finances and our house and allow Him to do the multiplying. There was a theologian by the name of John Bailey. He was working in New York at a seminary there during the Second World War. And he wrote a devotional classic. Uh, It's a devotion book that I use every day. He writes a prayer for every day of the month, a prayer for the morning and a prayer for the evening. And I, I love praying these prayers. As a staff, we pray these prayers. They're prayers that, quite honestly, make me pray things that I normally wouldn't or think about things that I normally don't. And as God would have it, earlier in the course of this week, as I just sat with this text in John 6 and thought, oh, what are we going to do with this message? The prayer on the morning of the second day was this. Let me then give back into your hands all that you have given me, rededicating it to your service All I can do with my mind and my body, all my possessions, listen, and all of my influence with others. Thank you that it is your gracious will to make use of me, even at my weakest, to fulfill your mighty purpose for the world. And so let my life today be a channel through which at least a little of your love and compassion may reach the lives of those around me. Bob, Janet, a little boy with bread and fish. Frankly, I could name all your names. When we put those things into the hands of Jesus, he multiplies it. God does a lot of little. So as we rest in the command of Jesus to go into the harvest field, to be an influence in that field, to know that God has already prepared people for us specifically, to then rest and trust that as we usher those things, as we give them back into God's hands, He will make a lot of little. To God be the glory. Amen?
And so may the peace of God, which surpasses all our human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.